13 and 14. And um, this will be the final, I know I said last week was the final, but this will be the final week in our series in the life of Joshua. Thanks, David. If you can, if you can help with the words and let me know afterwards, feel free. Feel free, but otherwise I'll do the best. Joshua 13, 1 to 7. Land still to be taken. When Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, You are now very old, and there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. This is the land that remains, all the regions of the Philistines and the Jezurites, from the Shibor River to the east of Egypt, to the territory of Ekron on the north. All of it is counted as Canaanite, though held by five Philistine rulers in Gaza, Ashdod, Ashelon, Gath and Akron, the territory of the Avites, four on the south, and of all the land of the Canaanites from Ara to Sidonians, uh, as far as Aphek and the border of Amorites, the area of Biblos and all of Lebanon to the east, from Baal, Gad, below Mount Hermon to Lebo Hamath. As for the inhabitants of the mountains regions from Lebanon to Misrapath, Maim, it is the Sidonians I myself will drive out before the drive out before the Israelites. Be sure to allocate this land to the Israel for an inheritance as I have instructed you, and divide it as an inheritance among the nine tribes and half of the tribe of Manasseh. Now Joshua fourteen six to fifteen. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephane, and the Kesanite said to him, You know that the Lord said to Moses, The man of God at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was forty years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites, who went with me, made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly, so that the day Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he had kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said to Moses. And while Israel moved out in the wilderness, so here I am today, 85 years old, and I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country, and the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there, and the cities were large and fortified. But the Lord is helping me, and I will drive them out, just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Japanah, and gave gave them Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, the son of Japanah, the Kesanite, ever since because he followed the Lord God of Israel wholeheartedly. 
Hebron used to be called Kirith Abba, after Araaba, who was the greatest man among the Aconites. Then the land had rest from war. So this is the word of the Lord. Yeah, didn't he do well? Well done, David. Sorry about that. Sorry? The map, yes, yeah, yeah, map would be good. Uh, let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that uh, uh, despite all of the challenging names in this story, there is a word for us in this, in your uh, written word, your holy word. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear what you would want to stir in us this morning. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and and acceptable to you this morning. Our Lord, our rock, our strength, our redeemer. In Jesus' name. Amen. I have bad knees. <laughs> okay. I'll come back to that later. So, we, uh, we planned this as a seven-part series, and as you can see, this is part eight, uh, through the life of Joshua. Uh, we uh, started way back in the book of Exodus and uh, we're planning, uh, planned it out to sort of journey through and, and, and uh, towards the end as we linked up with uh, South Mandarin Uniting Church, um, cover some of those big stories in the life and the book of Joshua. There was the, you know, the Battle of Jericho, the, um, the Battle of Gibeon and the crossing of the Jordan and all of those um, quite uh, re- relatively well-known stories. But um, as we went through, and planned for it to be seven weeks, as we went through, I felt really strongly like we needed to finish up with an extra one, part eight, um, in, in these two chapters, uh, chapter 13 and chapter 14. I'll, I'll come back to why that is in, in a little while. Um, but first of all, just, just a bit of reflection on, on what, we've, what we've just read in between all of the, the names that, that are hard to pronounce and we missed a whole chunk in the middle, which was a lot more of that, a lot of dividing up of the land between different tribes and different regions, we, we, all of which doesn't you know, matter too much to us. But in the beginning of those two chapters, um, which follows what we've been journeying through, the taking of the, you know, the city of Jericho and then Gibeon and... Um, or the partnership with Gibeon AI and the, the battle with the Amorite kings and all this. And then we read in the, the chapters in between that we've just skipped over, but we read about um, they went into this city and, and drove, drove that out and with this city and drove them out, this city and drove them out. They kept moving through the cities. And if you hear last week, I spoke about the fact that it's, it's not quite what it reads because it sounds like religious justification for invasion and war. <laughs> Um, there's an article, um, I've got some more copies at the back, I'm trying to remember to post the link in the, the Church Online chat this time, um, but you can just email me and I can send it to you if I forget. 
um, uh, an article by the Bible Project, great article about how, what this was really about, because they didn't actually force people out. The, the people remained in this land. This was about the promise to Abraham many years ago that, that through his people, the Israelites, all the nations would be blessed because they would come in, they would help them turn back to Yahweh, the compassionate, loving, graceful, slow to anger, forgiving God, as opposed to the child sacrifice and demonic worship that was going on in the land of Canaan, which clearly is bad for the humans living there. And so this was about driving out the evil, not driving out the people. And as the Israelites went through these towns and established themselves there, we then come to chapter 13, where we see lots has been achieved, but there's still lots to go. So this chapter... What it's about is, you know, you've, you've come this far, but there are still these regions and these regions and these, this part, this part, this part, this part, and all those names we read. There's still lots to go. And remembering the journey so far, they've, they've come a long way. God's done some amazing things. But here God says, there's still lots to go, and I'm going before you. There's this verse in chapter, uh, in, in chapter 13, verses 6 and 7. You know, I'm, I'm going, I'm driving out before you go in. Right, I'm going before you. Then we read in between 13 and 14 some division up of the land. We skipped over it today because it's just like, God's, okay, this tribe, because remember Israel is not small now, so this tribe will have this bit, this tribe will have this bit, this. So they're sort of, they're, they're, they're digging their roots in now. I mean, they can't be a nomadic sort of people, you know, journeying around forever. So now they've, there's a number of cities they're established in now, so they're putting their roots down there. Okay, we're going to be here, we're going to be here. Like, like they're sort of establishing a bit, getting some structure, getting some organisation uh, in, in, on the ground going. So they divide up these large portions. There's establishment happening. And then at the end of 14, we read about Caleb. Now, if you remember back to the book of Exodus, uh, Joshua and Caleb were two of the 12 spies who were sent by Moses to go into the land. And of the 12, only Joshua and Caleb came back saying, we can trust God, we can go in, we can do this. There's big, scary giants in the land, but it's okay, God will be with us um, because this is what he's called us to do. The other 10 said, ah, and they stirred up the people against Moses and it was, it was bad. That's why they ended up in the wilderness for 40 years. Caleb's been pretty silent all the way along up until this point, but now he's here again and he's clearly just been serving in the tribe of Judah, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And um, he says, look, you send me off now in this direction to, to go with this, the tribe of Judah to take this part of the land and Joshua blesses him, right? We just read that. He blesses him to go out. So it's not a, it's not a one man job at this point. It's not a one tribe job. It's, it's, a, it's not just, also it's not just a delegation of sort of support roles. It's like Caleb's now going and leading completely one, you know, one tribe and going off and doing the same as what Joshua's role was as a leader. Leading the mission of God coming to the land to restore the people's hearts back to Yahweh. Caleb leading the mission in some areas as part of the same family, in a sense. And of course, this is really relevant to churches. Um, God is establishing his kingdom on earth. It's different to you know, going in and, and, and coming in and establishing physically in the land, but he is establishing now his kingdom on earth. And sometimes churches have to put roots down 
like the Israelites had to put roots down at this point. And they've got to establish structure and churches have to organise and, 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 and get you know, solidified for a bit. But there comes a time then where God is saying, there's still more land to be taken. I'm going ahead of you. Uh, I, and, and we have to keep moving. We have to keep uh, releasing people. We have to release people to make progress in other areas where some can't. Because it's more than a one-man or a one-tribe job. And beyond just being applicable to churches in general in terms of what the mission of God is all about, this, of course, is all very relevant to a church considering church planting, sending out a a delegation, a group, a tribe of people to go into a new land to establish and seek to establish God's kingdom in that place. But that's not why I've chosen this passage today and why I'm preaching on it. I want your permission this morning to share from the heart a little bit. Um, Now, those of you who know me will will, um, know that I'm actually... As a public speaker, I'm not very good when I speak off the cuff, <laughs> when I don't have notes. I like reading from the script, um, and, and, and you've probably already heard just a little bit this morning that I'm saying um a few more times and I'm not quite as polished. Well, that's what I'm going to do this morning because I just, not that I didn't have time to prepare a message this week, but um, um, there it is again. Um, <laughs> but I just want to speak from the heart this morning with some minimal notes on the page. Just to share with you a journey that I've been on and a journey that our team has been on for a while and that together now we're on as a church and how it's all kind of come about or part of why it's come about. Uh, two and a half plus years ago, I think it was September 23rd, 2019, I was at a prayer meeting, a pastor's prayer meeting. Um, with pastors from around the city and at the time we would do this once a quarter and it's a great encouragement. This is over in Coburn and uh, we're we're having a time of small group prayer and uh, was sitting down praying, can't remember what I was praying about or what we were praying about at the time but as we were praying I sensed the Lord say very very clearly these these words, Joshua 13.6. Now, you've, some of you have heard me um, speak before about the fact that um, sometimes the Lord might speak this way, but I'm certainly no advocate for picking verses out of context and going, oh, what could we make this mean and all that kind of thing. It's a, you know, God doesn't speak to me in verses like this all the time, but at this particular time, although it wasn't an audible voice, it, it may, have well, may as well have been. And I guess God knows I'm maybe just wise enough to, to not then try and pick it out of context and make, something, make it mean something that it doesn't. Although at the time, because it was so clear, I went, oh, what could this mean? And I sort of had a look at the map of the Sidonians and the, all the areas we talked about and matched it up against the map of Perth and went, oh, maybe the Lord's saying we need to be up here and that kind of thing. And then after a while, I went, no, 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 Luke, don't be silly. Like, that's, that's not really usually the way God speaks. Um, but just to be aware of what God might be nudging at, what, what God might be saying. A couple of weeks later, I was at a, another um, gathering of, of pastors, this time in Williton, and um, I don't really know why I particularly went to this one. It was sort of a different thing, and, um, but it sounded interesting, and I, have, I was free at the time. 
And uh, there was a guy from the UK who was there sharing, back when that could happen, <laughs> often, and uh, he was part of a movement of, of churches in a city in particular called Teesside, where the unity in those churches and the gathering together and the, and the working together as the body of Christ was making a powerful, powerful difference in the city. And, and he spoke about this idea of churches, both individual churches and churches together, having a vision for the land. Now, we, we have a vision for our church. Most churches would have a vision for their church. You know, and I say that our church's vision is to da, 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 right? And we have that. But what about the church having a vision for the land? That's a different thing and a far more important and powerful thing. Say, God, what do you want for the land, the, 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 the suburb, the, the communities, the region that we are a part of and that we inhabit as the people of God? And, and this really stuck with me. I was like, that's, that's, a, that's something very powerful. And obviously it resonated with the Joshua 13, 6, that God going before the Israelites into the land. So I just continue to sit with this. A couple of weeks later, um, again, <laughs> come out of a pastor's meeting. It's funny how when... when People get together to pray. Things happen. Um, our local Canningvale pastors' prayer group, and uh, we'd just been chatting afterwards because uh, that happens every week on a Wednesday, seven thirty to eight thirty. And afterwards, we're chatting about: Are there any other churches, pastors in this local area who um, who we just haven't connected with? We haven't made the effort to, to build a relationship with them. We haven't just reached out. Maybe there's some who just don't know we exist and they'd be deeply encouraged to come join us on a Wednesday morning. And so afterwards I just pulled up Google and I Googled, because we knew the churches in Canningvale, at least most of them, and, and um, a few surrounding like Kerry uh, Baptist and whatnot, but we didn't know. So I Googled churches in Piara Waters and Harrisdale because that's a big area, growing area, almost the same population now as Canningvale. And, and to my surprise I found... One, apart from Cary Baptist, we already connected with Carisdale and Forestdale. One church with no contact details, meeting in a high school, and I think a, a small African church, if I'm not mistaken. And that was it. In this area with a similar population to, to Canning Bar, where there's 15 churches, and we've got lots of pastors who connect with each other and pray for each other. And I, I was like, wow, that, I did not expect that. Um, there was one little church that, that tried and didn't continue and then moved out again. I think it was a reformed church, and that was it. So I, I, I was like, well, what are, you, what are you trying to say here, God? Again, it was about the land. I'm looking at the map. I'm looking at this big space. And like God's saying, a vision for the land. I'm going, okay, whoa, 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 what's, what's going on here? That very night, there was a meeting in the head office of the Uniting Church with the Uniting Church Investment Fund Committee something, uh, whatever that committee's name is and we were presenting to them the fact that we had a 2.4 million dollar debt on land that was no longer leased so there was no income source anymore and that would make us pretty stuck if something wasn't done about it um, it's all, all the lands in the hands of the uniting church anyway in a sense but they considered the proposal and then half an hour after the meeting i'm driving the, on the way home and mark illingworth who helped put the proposal forward calls me and says it's done uh, the 2.5 million dollar debt has been wiped the Uniting Church will rearrange the delegation of that land and will talk to us in terms of future missional use of that land, um, but there's no longer a debt. We're debt-free, like that. And then, four days later, um, David de Kock, who was the General Secretary at the time and on that committee, came and preached. He was already pre-prepared to preach at the Billabong that Sunday. 
And he shared about how those resources of the Uniting Church have come from previous generations investing, thinking forward to the future, maybe they're in their will or, or something like that, the sale of other lands, etc. This property, for example, was purchased when other churches sold up. And David said, this committee who have wiped that debt are trusting that your, as a congregation, your newfound debtless freedom will be used now to multiply for the kingdom of God, just as those who have been freed from the burden of sin are called to go and make disciples. And I remember, I was sitting right about here, the stage is there at the time, David's preaching, and I just felt like, <laughs> oh my gosh, what a like, prophetic challenge. And, and so all of this is, this is happening, and I'm going, what, okay, you got my attention, God. Now then, a couple of months later, COVID hit, and we, you know everyone's pretty focused on that. And um, I, I decided that later that year it was a good time for me to have an extended break. I had a sabbatical um, uh, around July, August, September, 2020. Went away. Said so the first couple of months, I just focused on reconnecting with God and, and family. And then in that last month, I said, God, I want to dive into prayer about this. And the last of my three months on sabbatical. So prayer walked around the Harrisdale Piara Waters area, a whole heap, um, just, just observing and then, and then came back. We talked about it as a team um, in December that year, uh, March the next year. We went away on retreat for a week and we talked about it. We said, okay, yes, this needs to be a priority. We need to think about church planting. But we've got another big priority right now. We, need to, we really need to work on our life groups because we can't have, you know, that needs some strength, that needs some development if we're likely to send some people out to plant a new congregation. And, and it was such a joy to me a few weeks ago. Uh, those of you who are here will remember, we baptised five ladies and three of them shared the, the significance of their life group in their journey to this point, to, to faith and to being baptised. And um, of those, the, those three ladies who shared the, about their life group, they are part of two life groups which are brand new in our church. Um, and, and some of the other life groups have grown and developed as well, but there's also been two new ones established, and it's such a joy to go, oh, God, um, you know, nothing to do with anything I've done probably, but, but you're helping us to, to develop this and make this a significant thing in people's lives. We then... Um, got to early this year and our team went away on retreat again as is habit now in, in March uh, for a weekend and we spent the first day reflecting on things that have been happening and talking about discipleship and then Saturday I shared an article, I texted it through to the team um, called Why Plant Churches by um, Tim Keller. Tim Keller is a pastor in America, started the City to City organisation which is a church planting organisation and um, I sent this article through last minute. I, I thought it might be helpful. And then the next morning, Greg, who's on our leadership team, don't know if you're watching online this morning, Greg. Um, Greg's often online because he has a, a bad back. But he's, um, he's one of the members of our leadership team. And he said, look, this was Sunday morning. He said, look, up until last night, I really wasn't on board with this. Like, I, I didn't get it. I thought it was a big hobby horse Luke was on. Right? And, and I, I just didn't, didn't get, why would, why would we explore this? But then he said, I read that article, and it clicked. And all of it, I was like, oh, I, I totally get it now. The penny dropped. It's like, I understand why we would consider, even a relatively small church like ours, exploring 
church planting. And in the last few months, um, with lots of questions and lots of stuff to explore, I have learned a massive amount. We've learned a fair bit. And there's been lots of things clarified. Still lots of stuff, lots of stuff to explore. But in terms of the why and the how, like there's been so much we've explored. We had a church family lunch a couple of weeks ago and um, have recorded that. And you see my emails. You've sent that out to engage with that content. But I want to share with you this morning because... We're in, into this now. Um, something that I shared at that lunch, something that's on the website. And that is just not, not right now the why, because um, we could spend all day on that. Why plant churches? What does it actually do? What, what's the reason for this? And there's so, so many reasons. They, you know, church plants you know, the, are unequivocally the best way to reach new people with the gospel. They, they actually help revitalize existing churches. They help bless the whole body of Christ from a kingdom perspective. There's all sorts of reasons and all sorts of um, uh, answers to the question, why plant churches? Um, but, but for some of you, the question would be like, well, what are we talking about? And that's fair enough, because when the Billabong Church was planted, land was bought, 15 years in, finally a building went up um, after a couple and their three young kids, the Illingworths, um, established the church, planted the church on their own. So is that what we're talking about? So I want to just run you through quickly seven things that we are talking about and what we're not talking about, and these will be up on the screen. And hopefully this helps, and we're going to have a few minutes to discuss. Firstly, we're not talking about buying land and building a building. Praise the Lord. <laughs> now, I've had the chair of Presbytery come to me and say, hey, hey, there's money set aside for church planting. Want to talk to you about that? You know, let's buy land. Let's start it. I'm like, yep, cool. That's great. But, like, this is long term. Like, if they want to go buy land and then we can move into it one day once we've got some good communities established and there's then strength to be able to build another hub, awesome. But, yeah, not now. <laughs> Like, that's a while, a while off. Really, we're, when we talk about church planning, we're talking about going into a, a community, a region, a suburb, and going, what does a worshipping community look like that's best suited to reach these people in this particular context? And the first point of that is not building. The first point of that is people and, 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 and um, the mission. We're not talking, secondly, about a carbon copy of the Billabong congregation because, again, it's not about going, let's just pick up what we've got in Canningvale and drop it in, for example, Piara Waters or Treby or Banjup or wherever we end up um, because the, the people who live there are not the people who live here. So that means what a worshipping community looks like, what it looks like. Maybe we worship on Sundays, maybe we don't. Maybe we worship in the evening, maybe we worship in the morning. And aside from worship, which is not the most important thing, believe it or not, what are the activities? look like? Do we need to do English second language classes? Do we need to do alpha courses, play groups, youth groups? What, what does it look like? We explored a lot of this at our church lunch because this is key to, uh, it's not just about a carbon copy. The plant would be part of the Billabong family. You know, we're not talking about, you know, get a bunch of people say, bye-bye, see you in heaven, <laughs> right? It, it's part of the family, an extension of the family, just the same way that Caleb went with the tribe of Judah but they're part of Israel. They're part of the, the family of Israelites, the family of God. And so there would be a connection. We'd probably have family gatherings from time to time and, and so on. It may start small. We're, uh, we're not, I mean, some, especially at the moment, you know, it doesn't feel that big in here. You think, well, it would take 50% of those people. It's like, wow, there'll be nothing left. No, it may be 20 or 30 people, including kids. Maybe a bit more, maybe a bit less. It's not about the size. It's about the mission. 
It's about the people we're going into reach. It won't start this year, number five, because even though we're working towards sometime around September, October, getting together and making a decision, are we going or not? Are we going to, we, we, there'll be decisions around putting money into this, around commissioning leaders and identifying the location. Um, that starts a minimum six-month process of researching and, 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 and building the team and going in and going, what does this need to look like? So it's, it, we're talking absolutely earliest Easter next year. We can't and won't proceed without identifying a leader because if I start saying, hey, come on, we want you to be part of the core team of the new thing, and it's like, yeah, but who's, who's leading that charge? Because most likely it won't be me. It needs to be someone else. And so we need to identify a leader before we proceed. And if that doesn't happen by October, then we won't proceed at that point. And finally, we're unlikely to employ someone from outside. I mean, the, the thing about this congregation is there are so many people um, who, are, who are more than capable to be leaders in the family of God. And we really hope and believe that there'll be someone uh, from within who will be sent out, who carries the DNA of the billabong and carries the vision and the mission of the billabong with them as they lead a group of people to go and plan. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of an idea of what we're actually talking about. There's lots of questions. There's lots of things. That, well, what's it going to do? What's it going to do? I encourage you to engage with the content we've got on the website and um, be part of the conversation. There'll be plenty more opportunities for conversation. Before I finish the message this morning, I've got a few minutes left. I want you to turn to a few people next to you and, and just say, what are the questions that, you, that come to mind for you? Maybe it's a, just a, a wondering, maybe it's a concern or a fear, maybe it's an excitement, like, wow, I'm, this is, this is, I'm really excited about this, but I'm wondering, how is this going to work? J- just to get you thinking and talking. And then um, I'm going to encourage you after that to actually you know, share those questions, not here in, in public, but for now, just turn to a few people next to you, five minutes, what are you, what are you, what's your questions, your wonderings, your concerns, your excitement, your fears, any of that? And uh, then we'll pull it back in in about five minutes, all right? And if you're on Church Online, you can chuck this stuff in the chat. Really encourage you to get on the chat, share your questions. That'd be great. Okay, let's, uh, let's bring it back in here now, if that's all right. Of course, uh, so I hope that's, that's helpful just to get thinking about it. And I'd really, really love as many people as possible, whatever you've just talked about there, to jump onto um, our website. And you can just find the link for ch- the church planting page. And there's a Google form there. And it's just, you know, what's your name and contact so we can, you know, get in touch with you if you want. And um, what's your question? Because the more engagement we have, the more questions for us to, to because we're not going to think of all the questions as a leadership team. So we'd love you just to share those with us. That'd be really, really helpful. But of course, more important, as I said, more important than the what and what it's all going to look like and all those questions is, is the why. If we don't understand the reason, then, then um, well, you know, what are we doing? Um, and there are so many reasons, as I said, you know, that, uh, and too much to go through. There's a whole other talk, and we've done that at the church family lunch. want you to, to engage with that. Um, church, what church plants do is, is so astonishing to me in terms of the effectiveness in reaching new people and the impact that the challenging but impact it has on the sending church and other established churches and all of that. But just for today, I want to answer this, this question of why, what is the reason, by coming back to um, our passage in Joshua 
uh, chapter 13 and 14. During my sabbatical in, in 2020, I was uh, praying lots about all this and, and prayer walking, as I said, around Piara Waters and Harrisdale. And one day I felt like, okay, I need to go back and look at these, these passages again from, from Joshua 13, um, following that, that word back in Coburn the previous year. Um, so I read through chapter 13. Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with it now. I read, kept reading through 14, and then I got to this final line, which I hadn't seen before. The very end of 14. At the land, then the land had rest from war. And I want to submit to you today that this is the why. This is the reason. This is the vision. It, it might be hard to see, but there is a war going on in the lands around us, and that war exists in the heart of every man, woman, and child. It plays out in, in a whole heap of different ways. The fruit of, of that war is, is in domestic violence and racism and petty arguments on social media and angry drivers and political polarization and all of that stuff. But those are just the effects. The real war is in here. It's the battle for the soul. It's the, it's the flesh versus the spirit. And, and as God fights for our love and attention and devotion, we fight back to be our own God. Every human does that. And, and the war can only end when the Prince of Peace is allowed in to take over completely and return the people back to the God who created them as the Israelites were to go into Canaan and do the same. The vision, the, the why, the, the reason for, for what we do and, and, the, and this journey towards church planting and everything else is the land having rest from war. And for that, people need to meet Jesus so the war inside ceases. And yes, church planting is the most proven effective way to help people meet Jesus. But you know what? It's not the most important thing. And to be honest... I. In a sense, I couldn't care less if we plant or not. This vision, a land free from war, a land, a, a suburb even, where the war in people's hearts ceases because they welcome in the Prince of Peace. What we're really talking about is nothing short of revival. It's a spiritual awakening. Uh, it's, it's a renewal, a revival of people's hearts back to God. However you want to put it, a great move of the Holy Spirit to bring people back to the heart of the Father, to, to honor Jesus as Lord again. And this has happened many times in history, in regions and cities and countries. Whole cities turning back to God. And, and, and the results being that all the effects of war evaporate. Crime disappears, bottle shops have to close, all this kind of thing, because people turn back in droves to God. And you know what? I'm reading a book on revival, at the, revivals in history at the moment, and it's inspiring. But you know what always kicks them off? You know what always kicks off a revival, a renewal, a spiritual awakening in a land? It's a small, yes, prayer, but it's a small group of people resolving to give themselves completely to God, repenting deeply, praying fervently, uh, uh, loving extravagantly and sharing Jesus boldly. Just a small group. No compromise, no holding back, 100% in. I want to read from an article um, I read recently. In the late 1800s, there was a great evangelist named Gypsy Smith. Cool name. He had travelled the world twice, preaching in every continent, 
and in many countries. Wherever he preached, revival broke out. One day, a delegation of people from a certain community came to Gypsy and said, we so desperately want to see revival in our area. It's so dry and dead. What can we do to see revival, Gypsy said. And and Gypsy said, sorry, what can we do to see revival? He answered this. This is what he said. I'll tell you exactly how it will come about. Go home, lock yourself in your bedroom... Take a piece of chalk, put a circle on the floor in your bedroom, kneel in that circle, and pray fervently and brokenly that God would start a revival in that circle. And as I said, friends, believe it or not, I'm not too fussed about when and how and where and whether we church plant. I just want to be a person who pleads with God to start a revival in my circle and gets to journey with a few others, hopefully more than a few others, who will do the same. Because, and not just because, but one of the results is, if that's the case, if we do this, we will plant churches with our eyes closed. Because it's the natural overflow of 100% sold-out disciples who are making disciples. And so, God, I pray you would start a revival in this circle. Start a revival in our circles. Before we spend time praying that in, in worship, in song this morning, I want to play for you a song that um, someone sent to me a few years ago that wrecked me. <laughs> When I listen to it, and and I hope it will wreck you too. Clear the stage and set the sound and lights ablaze. If that's the measure you must take to cross the idols, jerk the pews and all the decorations too. Until the congregation's fueling how from revival Tell your friends that this is where the party ends Until you're broken for your sins You can't be social And seek the Lord and wait for what He has in store And know that great is your reward So just be hopeful Cause you can Sing all you want to Yes, you can Sing all you want to You can sing all you want to And still get it wrong Oh, worship is more than a song From all the plans that you have made And sit at home alone And wait for God to whisper I beg him please to open up his mouth and speak And pray for real upon your knees Until they blister Shine the light on every corner of your life And 
feel the pride and lust in lies are in the open. Then read the word and put to test the things you've heard until your heart and soul are stirred and rocked and broken. Cause you can sing all you want to. Yes, you can. Is more than a song. We must not worship something that's not even worth it. You clear the stage, make some space for the one who deserves it. Anything I put before my God is an idol. And anything I want with all my heart is an idol. And anything I can't stop thinking of is an idol. Take to cross the idols. 